Welcome to the Springforth Podcast, a ministry of the First Congregational Church of McGregor, Iowa. This recording was made for February 7th, 2021, the fifth Sunday after the Epiphany. out of here in about 30 minutes <laughs> just just enough to warm the building up and then and, and head home all right the psalm for our call to worship comes to us from 147 selected verses hallelujah how good it is to sing praises to our God how pleasant it is to honor him with praise the Lord rebuilds Jerusalem he gathers the exiles of Israel He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He counts the number of the stars and calls them all by their names. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. There is no limit to his wisdom. The Lord lifts up the lowly and casts the wicked to the ground. The Lord sings with thanksgiving. Make music to our God upon the harp. He covers the heavens with clouds and prepares the rains for the earth. He makes the grass to grow upon the mountains, the green plants to serve mankind. He provides food for the flocks and the herds and for the young ravens when they cry. He is not impressed by the might of a horse. He has no pleasure in the strength of man. The Lord has pleasure for those who fear him and those who await his gracious favor. Hallelujah. Well, it is nice to be back in the sanctuary after a couple of weeks away, although this day was also shaping up to be another one where obviously people have <laughs> went to sit out. And then I, I asked, I found myself asking this uh, question just sort of rhetorically this morning is that why does it seem like the foulest weather always shows up on Saturday night? Now maybe that's just my impression. I suppose if you're in a different occupation you'd be like, oh no, it always shows up on Wednesday or, or Monday. But to me, it always seems like the foulest winter weather always seems to sneak in on Saturday night, and thus this trying to, uh, to mess with, with the church deal. It's almost as if, well, I, I don't want to get too mystical or too conspiratorial. We've got more than enough of that to go around. You don't need me <laughs> adding, adding to that. But I will say that I have no additional announcements. Do you have anything that you know of? Okay. No pressing prayer concerns from the general public that you've heard of? Oh, sure. Okay. All right, then. Well, then, let us pray and move forward. Traveling light today. Beloved and most merciful God, thank you once again for the opportunity to gather in this space in the various forms that you have provided for us. We ask once again that you, who renew and strengthen us through Not only the power of your word, but through the imprint of your son, Jesus Christ, we thank you for the opportunities that we have to reflect on his mission and on his message and to try to incorporate that into our lives that we might live in accordance with the things that we have learned from him 
So today we ask that you would set aside some time for us that we might reflect on today's gospel and to perhaps maybe have some some takeaways in there that we can think about as the week continues to unfold. Keep your eye upon us and strengthen us now and always in Jesus' name. Amen. The gospel for today is from Mark chapter 1, verses 29 through 39. And what we have here is that Jesus is he's traveling with his disciples, and he has just exited synagogue. And as he is heading back, there is an opportunity for, for some healings. We don't know what took place at synagogue, but we do know that as he is returning back to the place where he was probably lodged for the evening, the word spreads about the work that he is doing and people come from all the surrounding regions in order that they might be healed. So this is just a small brief account that we have from Mark that shows us you know, the active hands-on ministry that Jesus is performing uh, at that time. A reading from the Gospel of Mark. As soon as they left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. He came, took her by the hand, lifted her up, then the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sunset, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons, and the whole city was gathered around the door, and he cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. In the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went to a deserted place, and there he prayed. And Simon and his companions hunted for him, and when they found him, they said to him, Everyone is searching for you. And he answered, Let us go to the neighboring towns, that I might proclaim the message there also, for that is what I came out to do. And he went throughout Galilee, proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out their demons. May the Lord bless the reading and the hearing of the Holy Word. Now, this passage follows on the heels of the text that we had last week, in which Jesus went to the Capernaum area with his newly called disciples. About that time, he had about four. And he went to that synagogue, and he was teaching. And they said that the, the scribes and the authorities were overwhelmed with his teaching because he didn't, he didn't teach as the scribes did. The scribes would enter into a more of a scholarly lecture referring back to rabbis that had preceded them and sort of drawing correlations between that particular rabbi's instruction and their own. Jesus came and, and proclaimed the, the gospel with a sort of animated urgency. He wasn't referring to anyone who came before him. He was just sort of laying the reality of the message and, and the vitality of God right before them. And then, of course, we heard last week in the text that while Jesus was teaching, there was a man in the synagogue who had a demon. And the demon comes forward and calls out Jesus. Now, when someone calls you by name, at least according to the, the sources that I have read, when a demon would call an individual by name, that is establishing authority over that individual which is why Jesus responded by 
not permitting the demon to speak, silencing the demon. By doing that, it reverses the authoritative role. I mean, as a matter of fact, we could even explore the reason when we meet individuals and someone has us at a disadvantage because they know our name and we don't know their name, we feel a little bit, it's a little off-putting when someone comes to you, say, at a, well, I always speak in the former because nobody really has conventional social gatherings anymore, but remember the time when we used to get together? But those times when you would find yourself at a gathering, be it a, a social event, and someone comes over to you and they've got your name and you don't have your name because you're wondering, how does this person know me? Where do they know me from? What uh, common friend do we have? And it reminds us that when a person has our name, when a person knows our name, they do have a sense of advantage on us. It's like, I'm sorry, I don't have your name. Do, have we met? Who are you? Are you watching me? It's almost enough to drive you into some state of paranoia unless, of course, you can immediately place the person and they introduce themselves. So you can imagine the surprise to everyone else who was gathered in that synagogue when this demon comes forward and says, Jesus, first of all, what are you doing here? We know who you are. We know you're the Holy One of God. Pretty much telling the man's whole story right there in front of the synagogue. So Jesus was looking to sort of ease in quietly and, and teach and then slip away and let people kind of think about his teaching. This, this demon who has that knowledge beyond the sort of natural world has just, just, has just disclosed his location and his identity. So Jesus says, silence and come out of him. That was last week's text. Now, after he is leaving the synagogue, they go to Simon Peter's house and his mother-in-law is sick. So because of what they had just witnessed, the casting out of this demon and, and, and sort of upending the synagogue and worship for that day, but yet also setting a man who was bound free. Why stop there? So they come to Simon's house. His mother-in-law is in bed with a fever. They tell Jesus. And now we don't know how long she's had a fever. We don't know if there have been a barrage of physicians who've been trying to work with her. We just know that she is ill. They tell Jesus. He goes in. He takes her by the hand. Strength and vitality is restored to her. She gets up and immediately starts to resume her place in the household. And she begins to, you know, set a meal before them. Now, a lot of people get hung up on the fact that after the healing of Peter's mother-in-law, that she serves them. And they said, you know, that's, that's not really the, actually the point. The point is not what she does when she is healed. The fact is, is that unless she could have been healed, unless she could have been restored to righteousness and vitality in her body, she would not be free to choose to do anything. Now, let's think about illness, because right now, our whole world has been upended because of illness, illness talk, and, and people getting illness, and people trying to stay away from getting illness. And here's the thing that I was thinking about in reference to Simon's mother-in-law and just my own experience in the past with illness. When you are ill, the only thing you can think about 
is not being ill. You don't want to be sick. You don't want the runny nose, the cough, the headache, the pains. You don't want the sort of debilitating circumstances. And you start to almost fantasize about all of those times when you could go where you wanted to, when you could walk and you could stand and you could breathe and you could do all these things, and you didn't appreciate it. You didn't appreciate the time when you could actually, you know, walk a flight of stairs without, like, you know, grabbing your back or wheezing or somehow feeling like, my gosh, you know, growing old is a son of a gun. So there's that sense in which when we are ill, the only thing we long for was that feeling of no pain, no congestion, no dis-ease. We just want the sense of functionality. That's where Simon's mother-in-law is at. She's in the bed with a fever. She's in a bad way. And we can assume that perhaps even if that fever came on suddenly and laid her low, it was long enough. Jesus has come to the house. Surely he can do something about that. We just saw him cast a demon out of a guy. This fever must, must not be anything. So they realize that Jesus' ministry is one to set people free. Set people free from, from demons, set them free from illnesses, set them free from their own poor thinking and ill manners, to set us free to redirect ourselves to realize that when our lives intersect with Jesus, our lives are intersecting with a God who actually wants to pour possibility into us, doesn't want to subtract from us, doesn't want to deplete us, but wants to actually fill us with a sense of forward motion. So that woman, being in her bed with a fever, that's not, that's not what God wants for her. God doesn't want her to, to be in that, 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 that broken, ill fashion, not indefinitely. So it becomes an act of mercy for Jesus to, to heal her. Because unless she is healed, unless she is set free, she cannot, she does not have the agency to choose how she wants to engage the world. See, so people get caught up on the fact that, oh, of course, you know, Jesus heals the woman and now she's got to serve them. See, that's, that's small thinking. That's small thinking, to read the scripture and say, oh, of course he's got to heal the mother-in-law because he's hungry, because he wants a sandwich, because, he, you know, it's like, get up, woman, and fix me something to eat. See, that's, that's how, and I'll admit, that's sort of the small thinking of how I used to read this text in the past. Now I want to expand my thinking. I want to expand your thinking. That Jesus is not telling her what to do when she is healed. She gets to choose what she wants to do when she is healed. Jesus is just basically saying, I don't want you sick anymore. Your illness does not benefit anybody. Whether it's me, whether it's, if, if, if he healed her and she got up and said, get out of my house, you tracked mud on my floor, he'd be like, that's good. She's, you know, she's got a bit of go to her. But she gets to choose what she does when Jesus brings the vitality back to her. Same thing with the man with the demon. Man's got the demon in him. He's not under his own control. It's the demon who's animating him. It's the demon who says, hey, let's go to synagogue and mess things up today. Hey, let's go over here and act crazy. Hey, let's take off our clothes and run through the town with starkers. I mean, it's the demon that's the demon setting the agenda. And Jesus is like, no more will the demon set the agenda. Be silent and come out of him. And then the man's like, oh my God, I'm, 
Where are my clothes? Give me something to wrap around me. Lord, have mercy. You know? Because the demon was like setting the tone. And Jesus is like, this is not the way it should be. God will set the tone. So we have this opportunity where the woman, the mother-in-law is healed. She gets up and she chooses to serve. She chooses to engage in this behavior. She chooses to say, this is how I want to respond. This is what I would have done if I hadn't been sick in bed. Now, the evening comes. Remember, this is on the Sabbath day. This is the Sabbath day. And usually no work should be done on the Sabbath day, which is surprising that Mark does not show anyone coming after Jesus for doing the healing because that would be an act of work or even casting out the demons. No one criticizes him. No one calls him out for doing these deeds on the Sabbath day. If you read a different gospel, you might find a different spin on that. But in Mark, he's just giving you what the man is doing. But at sunset, after the Sabbath has concluded, because it's now sunset, everybody from the surrounding town starts to come out. And why? Because when he was in synagogue and he cast the demon out of the man, what were the people marveled about? They were marveled. They said, what kind of teaching is this one with authority that he even commands the demons and they obey? So tongues were wagging the rest of the day. See, because it's not against the Sabbath to, to talk. <laughs> so people were talking, spreading the news about the man who had the demon, and, and he was healed. And so while Jesus is at Simon Peter's house, word is spreading of his ability to heal. Word is spreading of his ability to bring renewal to the community. And it says, at evening, at sunset, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons. And the whole city was gathered around the door, and he cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. So you can imagine, you can imagine this, this, this little town square packed, packed full with people. In fact, as I was reading these, these uh, commentaries on this passage, someone gave us the rather salient image, which, which we can all tap into as... These, these vaccine sites. Some of you are getting your vaccines and you go to these vaccine sites and, and when you see the pictures of some, probably not so much in our area just because population doesn't permit these kinds of egregious numbers, but you see some of these photos of these lines out the door, people standing, you know, and with their six feet spacing, lines as long as can be, people waiting to get that vaccine. So you have you can imagine these people who are like, what, is, what, healing has come to town? Healing has come to Capernaum? There's a man who's giving out healings. There's a man who's casting out demons. There's a man who's removing fevers and ailments and leprosy. Let us go down and see if we can't get in line to get some of this. So you can imagine the crowd and the, the thickness of all the people who were like anyone who ever had so much as a little scratch or sort of a gammy wrist. And, and then here they come. <laughs> here they are. And Jesus... And it says right here that Jesus didn't, he wasn't able to cure them all. But he says that he cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. Not all of them. He did his best. But even the Son of Man has, has you know, he's like, okay, you know, this, this, I've done my best. I, I need to renew and recharge. And that's where we get to this third paragraph here. And it says, in the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up, 
went to a deserted place, and there he prayed. How does Jesus restore himself? How does he restore his ability to engage the public with such a very visceral and engaging way? He restores himself in prayer. Because what he is giving to the community, the ministry that he is doing, the ministry that he has to call disciples, the ministry that he has to abate fevers and to cast out demons and to sort of right the the moral wrongs comes from rejuvenating his tether with with God. So he goes and he prays and Simon and his companions, they, they go looking for him and he says, everyone's searching for us. And he's like, okay, but let us go to the neighboring towns and villages. So after Jesus gets himself renewed with prayer, then he's ready to take his disciples and boom, go through the surrounding area of Galilee, proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. Now, when our lives intersect with this this narrative of Jesus, when we think of the stories, I haven't heard many stories of people who were brought into church because there was something that, I have to word this carefully because I probably did have an experience, I've just forgotten it. But I'd like to think that (laughs) most people do not come to church on the basis of needing a healing. We might might discover that when we're there, but we we don't look to church as a place for healing. We, because of our sort of Western civilization, we think of the places of science, the places of medicine, for healing. We always think healing is associated with some sort of physical thing, but we think of the healing that Jesus brings as sort of a a calm opiate to the mind, takes away anxiety and stress, but most people don't come to church for those reasons. They they find it. You can find that if you you allow yourself to settle down into a, a community, but I wouldn't say that that's the driving impetus that brings people to church. Now, prove me wrong. That's wonderful. That's, you know, your homework assignment. And you can say, no, I came to church specifically for healing, and I haven't found it yet. Well, keep trying. But the, the, goal, the goal is is that we understand, because what do you make of an individual who calms storms with a word, who casts out demons with a word, who can, in, in, in a foul mood, curse a fig tree and it withers, can have a conversation, as we will have next week in the transfiguration with two prophets, with Moses and Elijah, what do you make of an individual who can do that? And then we connect our lives to him. We don't connect our lives to him because he's deficient. We connect our lives to him because there's something about his image and his personality and his very narrative that leaves us feeling that we too are going to be replenished just being in his company, just being in the company of his testimony, not even in his physical presence, but just being able to hear the stories of Jesus and to be able to recount the deeds of his life is enough to rejuvenate our very mind, you know, and and reanimate us in such a way to where we're like, I feel invigorated. I feel like now I can go and take on said ills and problems in, in my community. So that's why I think it's so wonderful to, to have this series of healing stories because these individuals came to Jesus because they realized that unless they could be set free from their impediment, 
they would not have the full productivity that God wanted for them. I mean, we all want a certain level of productivity ourselves. This is why we don't want to get injured. This is why we don't want to get ill. This is why, you know, we're like, well, I don't know. Are the roads going to be clear enough? Because the last thing I want to do is slide off the road. Because one, now you got property damage, right? Maybe yours and someone else's. But then you might actually have injury. Anyone who's ever been in a car wreck tells you that, whew. I mean, especially if you've had a rollover. If you've ever had, I haven't had a rollover, my wife has. And I tell you, you get jangled. You get jangled. I got T-boned once, though, in high school. So that's, you know, woo And it was, I'll tell you the story, actually. I was driving a little tiny, like a Volkswagen Rabbit-sized car. It wasn't a Volkswagen Rabbit because I wasn't cool enough to have a Volkswagen Rabbit in high school. But anyway, sorry, Mom. Never mind. This is no charge on you. Hey, I had a car as a kid. That's pretty good, right? I'm sitting here bragging about my privilege. But anyway, I had a, I had a small, compact car in high school. And I was going to pick up my friends. This has nothing to do with the scriptures, but I just want to share a story because there's like five people here. So I was going to pick up my friend. We were going to go see a movie. I can't even remember what movie it was because we never got there. And I remember I was waiting to make a left turn at a marginally large intersection, waiting for my green arrow, get my little green arrow, proceed to make my turn. And I looked in my rearview mirror and I saw the person behind me like hit their brakes because you can tell because they kind of like pull away in their mirror, right? So their, their car gets smaller as I'm like, I said, that's strange. I wonder why that woman stopped. And that was it. It was a full-size Bronco that, was, that ran the red light and hit me and knocked me clear across the intersection into the, the light post. That's how quickly it happened. And if, I mean jangled, right? I mean, but what, but what was even stranger about the story is once emergency squad got there and the car was trashed, and I realized that if I'd had my friend with me, they'd have been killed. Because the door, the passenger door was completely folded in. It was completely folded in. So just as well that he wasn't there. So I got my first ride in an ambulance, and what was so strange is the hospital they took me to was the hospital where my mother worked, and she was currently delivering a baby because there was a one of her patients who was in labor. So I said, um, I said, this is kind of dodgy, but you'll need to tell my mom. I said, but I think she's delivering a baby right now. And so my mom had that, she's gonna love me telling this story um, in a way, because it ended well, right? I survived. Got three stitches out of the whole deal. Um, grow a beard to hide it. So <laughs> anyway, this is fun. I, li I like it when nobody comes to church because then I can just ramble on. I usually ramble on when people do come to church, but this is more fun. So anyway, <laughs> so, so they did go and they contacted my mom. And she came downstairs because I'm in ER and she was in labor and delivery. And she, she says, what happened? I said, ah, this guy ran through the light and it was crazy. And I said, but I'm okay. So you can go back to your patient and tell her I'm sorry for disrupting. So some kid came into the world well, I was almost going out of the world. That's, see, this is, the kind of, this is the kind of world we live in. But, yes, yeah, exactly. Of course, you know, but the thing is, Myron's like, you want to talk about car wrecks? Talk to, talk to Myron Jurds. So next week we'll hear car wreck stories from Myron Jurds because he got a few. <laughs> He's got a few. But the thing is, is that the healing, the healing factor, the healing factor, when we are ill, when we are out of sorts, when there is something that is not right, it robs us of the energy and the life force to be able to do those things that we would do if the impediment were not in the way. 
if the accident, if the illness, if the divorce, if the firing, if the dismissal, if that impediment wasn't there, we would have the free capacity and the fullness of capacity to be able to engage life with like, you know, all, all cylinders firing to continue on with the sort of mechanical metaphor. And Jesus recognized that. Jesus recognizes that anyone who is in, infirmed and out of sorts in the community is not maximizing their appeal in God's eyes. So when he comes and says, I have come to set the captives free, you have to think, we have to think about what does captivity look like to us? What thoughts, ideas, ailments, predilections are we so caught up in that we cannot even see ourselves clear to truly serve in an unfettered fashion? And that's where this passage takes me because Jesus immediately comes in. I could see myself, if I were living in this time, I could see myself being one of the individuals lining up outside of Simon's house. I could see myself because I would know that there would be something, something, even if it wasn't a physical thing, there might be some reluctance, some self-esteem issue, something that might have me gather outside that door for the hopes, for the hopes that the man might just lay a hand of touch on me. And that's what I'm trying to get to about we don't normally come to church for healing. But if we pay attention and we stick with the story, we will find it when it happens. Amen. Let us pray. Beloved and most merciful God, we thank you once again for the strength and the vitality that you give to us. You bring it down and make it so accessible for us. It becomes real. And it's that reality that allows us to engage the world. We pray especially for those who are infirmed right now. And not just physically infirmed, although that's the one that always seems to take precedence. But we think about the mental well-being of people. It's really cannot be overstated how difficult this past year has been on our mental framework. There have been some who just have not been able to come out of the shadows and are no longer with us because it was so bad. But this is the healing. This is part of the healing that you were charged to bring. The healing of body and mind, the renewing of our thoughts, renewing of our disposition, the filling us with hope, that hope actually is a balm, and that a people without hope will soon fade. So we thank you for these examples that you have given us of individuals who recognized in some capacity the, the vitality, the freedom that you were bringing, the possibility to set them free from their impediments and allow them to, to serve and be productive and to be able to proclaim the wonders of God who didn't pass them over but connected with them deeply, loved them into change and provided them the ability to make their choices based upon a free and clear conscience. So we are still heavily burdened there are the things that assault us from 
the outside, the externals that are visited upon us both by other individuals and life circumstances. But then there are those debilitating circumstances that we create because our minds get caught into rut-like thinking. And we get mired down in these particular grooves and we get stuck. And we don't function like we should. We don't associate with individuals because we have allowed ourselves to get mired down into thinking that they are against us or we should be against them or we don't understand them and they don't understand us and we keep replaying these narratives to a point where we become alienated. And we know that if the physical Jesus were walking these streets right now, he would find Main Street closed because of the amount of people who would want to turn out. People who probably didn't even believe in him would just turn out to see what's going on. I pray, for, I pray for the church universal, that the church universal would find its way during this time to still be a place where people can find their agency again, where they can find the healing that they didn't even know that they were seeking, where they could encounter some sort of a clear channel to you, have an encounter with the risen Christ, and to come away so remarkably renewed that the imprint is unmistakable to those who meet and greet along the way. Let your blessing rest upon us and receive these, the prayers that we set before you today, in Jesus' name. Loving and most merciful God, thank you once again for receiving these, the prayers of your people. We ask particularly on this day in this section of the country that you keep everyone warm and remind us once again how, how truly privileged we are to have roofs over our heads. For those without shelter, Lord, may they not go unnoticed. May someone take action and get folks to shelters, encourage them. I know we have to be careful, but you, it's just too cold to be outside. So help us to play our part and to continue to check in with you that we might find our true self now and always. Remember us as we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Get your communion ready.
I'll do the honors here. <laughs> we covenant with the Lord and with one another and do bind ourselves in the presence of God to walk together in his holy ways. We will strive to be doers of the word and not hearers only, to be firm in faith, quickened in hope, and constant in charity. And we will consecrate our time, talent, substance, and influence as heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he celebrated the Passover meal with his disciples. He took bread, he blessed it, divided it, offered it to them and saying, this is my body which has been given for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. Together they shared the cup, the cup of the new covenant, Christ's blood shed for the remission of sins. Let us take the cup of salvation. As often as we do eat of this bread and drink from this cup, we do proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let us pray. Giving you thanks and praise for absolution. We do not take it for granted. And we actually ask your pardon on those times when you have saved us, especially from ourselves, some weird close call. And we didn't appreciate it at the time. But we do now, because there's been a little bit of distance and some time that's elapsed between us and the incident. As you can see, I have not forgotten my rather harrowing experience in high school. But I'm here, and I know that you have been guiding each and every one of us, preserving us towards better ends. So we thank you for this day that you have given us and ask that you would allow us to hear and respond to your word and will. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to rise for the blessing. <laughs> and now may the grace of Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. May it keep you and guide you in peace. Go in peace. Serve the Lord.